You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Remember balance. Remember when we talked about balance? We discussed the balance of scriptures. I believe that there is a balance to the Word of God. There is no biblical evidence that would cause us to think that the gifts have ceased. Nor is there any evidence that exists to indicate that we all must speak in tongues. I do believe that the gifts should operate within the limitations and confines of scripture. And 1 Corinthians 14 gives us those limitations and confines. Through studying the scriptures, we'll discover the correct balance of interpretation. Pastor Dave teaches us today that through this balance, we will be able to understand what God asks of us. Make the studying of scripture a consistent habit in your life, and you will be blessed by the clarity it grants you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 2, as he continues his message, The Holy Spirit Comes. Some people don't pray out loud because they don't think they have the most eloquent words. I can't pray out loud because I can't be as eloquent as this person who's praying. God's looking for a sincere heart. He's looking for you to open up your hearts. He doesn't mind your words. It's not your words that make the prayer. It's where they come from. If they come from a sincere heart, God will answer your prayer. The best prayer you can pray is, Lord, help me. It's the best prayer you can pray. Not to have these eloquent things, eloquent speech. He hears it. He knows it. So they were praying. They were praying, and they were sitting there, and they were waiting. The next thing that happens is one strange supernatural phenomenon. I mean, it is really crazy when you look at this. There's not a Hollywood producer that wouldn't love to take and be able to replicate this. There's not a Hollywood producer that wouldn't be able to take them, put these special effects into some movie, and you would go, whoa, look. Look what happens next. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It comes upon the church. And it's accompanied by two things. First of all, a sound like a rushing wind. And divided tongues as fire appeared above the believer's head. Look at verses 2 and 3, Acts 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat on each of them. This must have been an incredible sight. Now if they had their eyes closed when they were praying... I can imagine what they did when they opened them. It was like, you know, they opened their eyes. They saw these things on each other's They saw this fire upon each other's head. They heard this rushing wind. Wow. No producer in Hollywood could make this happen. This sound must have really been loud, too, because it was heard throughout the temple. If you look forward to verse 6, which we'll cover next week, it says that others outside the room heard the sound. It says, when this sound occurred, the multitude came running. They heard the sound. The sound drew the multitude together, and it got their attention. God uses this sound to draw them all together to set up Peter's first sermon, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a sound of a mighty wind, but there was no wind. 
mean, their hairs didn't blow back. Their robes didn't flow. There was no wind. It was a sound as of a mighty wind. This is significant to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Scripture, it is often associated, the Spirit, with wind, breath, or to breathe. It's often associated with that. In Ezekiel 37, verse 9, speaking about the dry bones, the prophet is told by the Lord, it says, to prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And we know that when that breath came, those dry, dead bones became alive. In Ezekiel 37, verse 9. In John 3, verse 8, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we know, we've discussed this verse three or four times in the last several weeks. In John 20, 22, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is associated with this breath or wind, a mighty wind. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words for spirit are different. In the Hebrew, it's rock, R-U-A-C-H. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, translated to breathe. One could easily translate this as a violent exhalation or a mighty blast of wind. And according to these words and their previous usage in scriptures, it would be reasonable for us to say that the arrival of the Holy Spirit would create this dramatic sound effect. So you had this sound, sound of a mighty, mighty wind. I don't know if you've ever been around a tornado or if you've ever heard a hurricane gusting force, you'll hear that wind howling and whipping, and it's a mighty, mighty wind. I'm sure many of you heard that through your doors last year when we had nine feet of snow. The wind was howling and blowing. You heard that wind. You get a sound in your head. But then we have fire. We have fire. We have the sound of a mighty wind, and we have fire. The fire mentioned in these verses could be the fulfillment of John the Baptist's prophecy. When John the Baptist in Matthew 3 verse 11 says, He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This could be the fulfillment of that prophecy. Some commentators believe that this is symbolic of the Lord's presence, fire. It's very similar to when God would descend upon the offerings which he was, when he was well pleased with them. You can find that in Genesis 15, 17. Leviticus 9.24, and 1 Kings 18.38. All these scriptures are in your bulletins, by the way. Other commentators believe that this was not an authentic fire, but rather the words to describe it was, as of fire. Citing the Old Testament theophanies, or manifestations of the Lord, like in Exodus 19.18, when the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai with his smoke and fire and scared everybody. Unfortunately, there are those who feel it is necessary for this special effect style of entrance to the Holy Spirit to be duplicated, to authenticate the Pentecostal experience. There is no biblical experience and support for this. There's no verse that would indicate that this would ever happen again, nor should we expect it to happen again. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals without these two effects ever happening again. So we believe that this must be a one-time occurrence. 
But several things need to be said here. I need to mention several things before we continue. Remember, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is available to anyone who has called upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Peter's going to say in this same chapter of Acts in verse 39, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Anyone who has asked the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, anyone that has accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, knowing that he paid his debt he couldn't pay, anyone who has asked Jesus to be the center of his life, repenting, and when you repent, you just turn away from and you walk the other way, coming full circle to Jesus Christ by faith, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Everything by faith. This situation happening in Acts 2 is referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is also received by faith to those that ask. To those that ask with a sincere heart. Again, Luke, 9, Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? Ask. The other thing I wanted to mention is that the reason the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, so that they could be His witnesses. So that they could be witnesses of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We talked about that in Acts 1 verse 8. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses. Yes, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And once they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then they could fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave them back in Matthew 28, in verses 18 and 19. Go forth. They can't go without the power to go. They can't go out in their own energy. Anyone who knows this, anyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit is obviously commissioned by Jesus to be his witness. That's what the Scripture says. You know, we're coming to a point in Scripture, we're going to get there in a few weeks, where the church population is going to explode 25 times its present size. It's going to go from 120 people to 3,000 people in one day. That doesn't happen by anything but God's Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen by man's. These believers are going to carry out God's plan for salvation, showing that message. They're going to share the love of Jesus, and they're going to be witnesses of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. This could not be accomplished without the power of the Holy Spirit. And trust me on this, folks, it can't be accomplished today without the same power of God's Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It can't be done. It was and still is God's plan to empower the believers with the Holy Spirit in order to spread the news of His love throughout the world. It's still God's plan. His plan hasn't changed. So we have two things that happened to them. Two signs, if you will, that accompanied the coming of the Spirit. They had the mighty wind. They had tongues as of fire that sat over top of each of them. But there was a third sign. There was a third sign. In verse 4 it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. The Greek word here used for other tongues is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A. And it means an unknown tongue. This means that it's unknown to the person who's speaking it. It's unknown to the person who's speaking it, not necessarily to the person who's hearing it. 
Tongues in this verse mean unknown, unlearned languages. It was the Spirit that gave them utterances. They didn't learn these languages. The Spirit gave them the ability to speak. This is pretty difficult for the mind, the natural mind, to start to comprehend. We're getting some pretty, pretty controversial situation here and getting to pretty controversial scriptures. This is difficult for the mind to comprehend. My finite brain doesn't compute this. How can they speak a language that they've never learned? By the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of this in his first epistle to the Corinthian church when he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. This offends some people. This offends some people. And I can understand that. But this is the way the gift of tongues operates. It's a gift of faith. It's received by faith, and it's operated by faith. My spirit is benefited, but my intellect is challenged. Believe me, if you know know me, it's not too difficult to challenge my intellect. So how is it possible that I can accept this strange and mysterious gift as being available for me today? How is it possible? Well, when studying the Bible... There are basically three things that we look for in a scripture to see if we as a church or me as an individual Christian should practice that thing. Understand what I'm saying? The first thing we look for is, did Jesus mention it or did Jesus practice it? The second thing we look for is, is it mentioned in the book of Acts and was it practiced by the early church? The third thing we looked for was, was it reinforced in one of the epistles? When we see those things coming together, we believe that the church should be practicing said things. Follow me here. Baptism, great example. Jesus was baptized. Jesus commanded us to go forth and baptize. We see in the book of Acts people being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It talks about baptism in the epistles. The three have met We practice baptism today. Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the Gospels. He was the first one that did it. He said, when you do this, remember me. We see it practiced in the book of Acts. It's talked about at great length in the epistles. The three come together. What about the gift of tongues? When the Holy Spirit fell upon these early believers, they spoke in unknown languages. Throughout the book of Acts, we clearly see the disciples as well as others receiving this exact gift. Acts 2, Acts 10.46, and Acts 19.3. In the first epistle to the Corinthian church, Paul spends a huge amount of time instructing and describing for the church the correct use and interpretation of the gift of tongues. Two out of three. Jesus ever speak in tongues? No. Never spoken tongues. Did Jesus ever mention tongues? Show of hands. Did Jesus ever mention tongues? Yes or no? Come on, you cowards. Come on, you got a 50 50 shot. Come on. Thank you for yelling out no. I'm, I'm appreciate, I appreciate your eagerness. Turn to Mark 16, please. Turn to Mark 16. The end of Mark. The end of Mark. 16. Jesus is basically giving the church the the great commission, just like he did in Matthew, but this is Mark's 
version of what Jesus said. And when you take all the Gospels and you put them together, you get really what happened there. It should be highlighted in red. It is in my Bible, which means Jesus spoke it. Mark 16, 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Three out of three. So it fits. It fits the criteria for what we look at as for how we go about this thing. You can see that this particular gift was mentioned by Jesus, and it can be found in the book of Acts. The early church did it, and it's mentioned in the epistles. Remember the saying that we have? If you don't read it, you don't need it. If you read it, you must heed it. We cannot say that the gift of tongues and the other gifts don't exist today. Why would the Lord spend so much time in instructing in a gift that is not available? Of the three mentioned phenomena that accompanied the entrance of the Holy Spirit, the speaking of tongues is the only one repeated on several occasions and other occasions. Now let's clarify some things. Let's clarify some things. From what I read in Scripture, will every believer speak in tongues? Not that I believe. Must all Christians speak in tongues? Not that I read. Actually, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church is filled with the instructions on the proper use of the gift of tongues and prophecy. If we would only do as it says, there wouldn't be this huge confusion that exists in the church today. Remember, I don't feel that these gifts should be neglected, but I do not feel that they need to be misused either. Remember, balance. Remember when we talked about balance? We discussed the balance of Scriptures. I believe that there is a balance to the Word of God. There is no biblical evidence that would cause us to think that the gifts have ceased, nor is there any evidence that exists to indicate that we all must speak in tongues. I do believe that the gifts should operate within the limitations and confines of Scripture, and 1 Corinthians 14 gives us those limitations and confines. And we'll speak more about that in the years when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. Promise of the Father had come. These disciples and early believers were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the power of God. These believers proceeded, turned the world upside down. They turned the world completely upside down. They changed the way people looked at religion. They changed the way people looked at politics. They changed the way, most importantly, that people viewed each other. They change things. Greg Laurie wrote a book. It's called The Upside Down Church. We have it in our bookstore, another shameless plug. Here's what he says about these early saints. They lived upside, quote, they lived upside down lives, walking in obedience to God and applying the truths of the kingdom. He said, here's another way to look at it. God told us that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways are your ways, Isaiah 58. 55.8. He continues, in fact, most of the time God's purposes are exactly opposite of human impulses. This truly means to follow him, we must think and behave in a ways that feel unnatural or upside down to us. This is what the early church did, unquote. It's my fervent prayer for this church that we would be an upside-down church. That we would follow in the footsteps of God 
we would be empowered by His Holy Spirit, and that we would be witnesses for our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And doing that, we would shine a light, a huge beacon of light in the midst of Cape May County, that like moths to a flame would draw people not to us, but to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is His will that all would come to repentance, that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's His will. And it's spoken about in His Word. And that's what we want as a church. We want God's will. If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. That's God's will. That all, all would come to repentance. All. We want to push those doors open and shout from the rooftop, Jesus is Lord, and I love it. I love it when I have a worship leader who stands up here and says, hey guys, the tomb is empty. Woohoo! Praise God. The tomb is empty. He lives today. He lives in you, in me. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit, and He's living inside you today. And He has called you to be His witness. But I can't. I don't have the power. Oh, I can give you the power. You can get the power today. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Ask, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you that power to be a witness of Him in the grocery store. Not just because you work there. Be be a witness of Him where you're working, in Wawa, to those wonderful cashiers that you talk to every day. Be a witness of Him at the gas station. Be a witness of Him at work, at home, to your family, to your friends. When you go over the river and through the woods and you get to Grandma's house, you're being a witness for Jesus Christ at Grandma's house to the unsaved family. And I know all of us have unsaved family members. And we want them to come in to the kingdom. Be that witness that you've been called to be by Jesus Christ. That you've been commissioned by Him, by Jesus Christ. That He has given you the power to be by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God. Want that in your lives. And if it seems like I'm charged up, I am. I want to run out and scream and yell at the people, you don't understand. You don't understand what's happened here. Be a witness for Christ. Make this a thanksgiving to remember. Make this a thanksgiving that's going to be so special that you're giving thanks to a holy, wonderful, loving God who loved you so much that he dares to send his own son knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that the only way he could get you into the kingdom was to die. Wow. Now that's something to be thankful for. That's something to embrace and enjoy. You want to live the Christian life the way God had meant us to live the Christian life? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be born again into a lively hope. Be filled with His Spirit. Be filled with His love. And walk in that Spirit. That's where hope is. That's where everything resides that we have. If God wants you to have it, you want it. If God desires that you would have it, you want it. You should desire it also. It's my favorite prayer that we would catch it. Catch it. Catch the touchdown pass and spike it in the end zone. And declare Jesus as Savior. What a wonderful way to start a holiday season. To be born again into a lively hope. When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.